So I think what's so lovely about Lewis is he states it quite clearly, but he interweaves it into things that are relevant. He's, you know, he's argued before, and I think he's absolutely right. People don't believe that faith is relevant to our everyday lives. They think of it as something over here, a church school or a Sunday thing, or, and even then, not maybe relevant. And he interwove it with so many different topics and things. And he's by no means perfect, no, no thinker, writer, anyone is. And he's very self-deprecating, which I love him for as well. But he gets you to think about what is your life without it? Well, what's up, guys? We hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts. This is the Young Adults Today podcast. Please subscribe and you'll never miss a thing. We want to invite you, March first and second to Minneapolis, Minnesota for the Young Adults Today Leader Conference. This is for pastors, next-gen leaders, people leading young adult ministries from across the country. It won't be the same without you there. Why should they come? Well, you should be coming because you can have an amazing opportunity to meet your next best friend, potentially understand that you are not alone in leadership, but also just get poured into and just take a deep breath of like, what does God have for me? What does he have for the ministry? And how can I get a breath of fresh air in my lungs and in my sails as I begin 2024? There'll be breakout sessions, there'll be worship, there'll be some speakers and an opportunity for us just to get to do life and fun together. And we don't have to be strangers anymore. We get to be friends. It's incredible. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at the King's Council. Riley Meek is the founder and the King's Council really is your tribe especially if you're a young leader, mm -hmm. if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to move from entrepreneur to entrepreneur, maybe 2024 is the year that you start a side hustle, start a nonprofit, start a business. The King's Council has courses, mastermind communities that you can find other like-minded people because look, leadership does not need to be lonely. You can find out more by visiting www.youngadults.today slash partners and visit more in the show notes. Here's today's episode. Hey guys, we are Ben and Kate Burton from Discover Life Church with Remix Young Adults in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Yeah, we just want to take a few seconds to tell you how much we love Josiah and Micah as well as Young Adults today. You know, we met them back in March of 2022 at their Young Adults Conference in Minnesota and immediately we just felt a heart connection as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. So fast forward to fall of 22, we actually invited them to our Young Adult Weekend and got to see them firsthand uh, ministering to our young adults and college students. And it just was absolutely incredible um, start to finish their heart for uh, the next generation. That's right. And we're just so thankful for Micah and Josiah and the friendship that we have um, made with them. They have continued to hold up our arms um, in ministry and just doing life together. And we're just we're just so thankful for their prayers and continued support. And it's just a blessing to know them. Josiah and Micah, we love you guys and we're huge supporters of young adults today. Well, happy Monday, everybody. We hope that you are doing well. We're kicking off a Monday to hopefully help you start your week strong as well as your leadership. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts. This is the Young Adults Today podcast. Where we're passionate about the faith of the next generation, talking about reaching young adults mm -hmm. in our world today. Hey, we consider it a gift. Anytime you share this episode with friends, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know what we're doing well or what we could do better. Today's guest, we're in for a treat. We're going to school with Dr. Carolyn Weber. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. It's a delight. 
We are yeah. thrilled. And Carolyn Weber uh, has several degrees. The most recent is um, from Oxford University. She's been a professor at a number of universities and uh, including Oxford. She and her husband and their kids uh, live newly in Tennessee. She's the author of a powerful memoir, Surprised by Oxford, which has also been made into a movie that you can check out. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn, we gave you just a brief blip of an introduction, but can you share some of your life journey story with us and your passion for learning? Mm. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction. And I am just really honored to be here. I believe in the work you're doing and the group that you're speaking to particularly. I was a student, a graduate student when I became a Christian. And um, to make the infamous long story short, as we do with all of our lives, I grew up in, I would say, um, an unbelieving home, loosely Catholic, uh, maybe a little bit European, loosely Catholic. Um, and once my immigrant grandparents had passed, I didn't really set foot in a church. Uh, I would have described my family as loving enough to get by, but broken enough not to deserve God's attention. Mm. Um, my father was a self-made man and he was a ended up becoming quite an affluent businessman. Um, he had grown up, you know, going to school with no shoes, that kind of thing. When he was charged with fraud and his um, business fell apart and his life fell apart and eventually my parents' marriage fell apart, my father had a breakdown and he was in and out of our lives. And uh, I was always very close to him, cared for him. But in many ways, as I thought about faith growing up a bit here and there, I, I thought, gosh, you know, I'm not going to really trust a heavenly father if I can't trust an, you know, an earthly one. Um, so I was essentially raised by a single mom. Uh, who was delightful, a very lovely, lovely woman. Um, and she was dealing with her own ways of trying to manage. And uh, and we were relatively poor, um, thrown into trying to survive. So I was working a lot of jobs. I loved my studies, loved reading. Reading was a form of escape and ideas, but I was so busy. Like so many students today uh, in North America, working multiple jobs, helping out with your families, um, trying to keep your grades up, uh, trying to get scholarships so you can go to school. Uh, and uh, I was the first one in my family to go to college. Uh, and I loved literature. I loved studying. Um, but by the time I was a teenager, I would have identified myself as an agnostic, not an atheist, because I couldn't disprove God, but definitely an agnostic. And by the time I went um, away to Oxford to study, I was um, I would have defined myself very much as self-sufficient, um, not going to depend on anybody, really going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, feminist, um, probably borderline atheist, um, really that I didn't think faith and reason could be held together uh, in the same hand. And uh, I was going to make my way in academics. And then um, that's why I was surprised by Oxford. <laughs> because when I arrived there, I started studying world religions for my master's at the time. And thinking more seriously about that longing and those feelings I'd always had. I think that we all do. We just don't always talk about them. And I started to meet Christians, all different stripes, and started to think through things for myself. And that's where um, someone like C.S. Lewis came into play. I'd known him as a child through Narnia, but I didn't know his other works. And, uh, and so a whole other world of intellectual history and thinking Christians and, um, and also just real people, real Christians, um, real fellowship opened my eyes to a whole other way of being. That's amazing, Carolyn. Thank you for sharing elements of your story. And I think 
I just think about how God uses our bitter stories and can make them back into a sweet aroma offered to him. Like he can take those, those family dynamics and make them beautiful. Like the roots of which we've come from isn't the end of the story. It's just how is this tree going to grow throughout the generations and what are we going to take with us and what are we going to adopt along the way? And who are we going to invite into that process? And you had obviously some uh, an incredible mom and had a healthy relationship with your father, even though he was in and out. And even to know that we live in a day and age, even just your story, where many people are claiming to be agnostic, atheist, or they're challenging the faith views, or even just Christianity at large. But you even just briefly shared that somebody kind of intersected your life, maybe started as an escape, which was C.S. Lewis, and through his writings. And I truly believe he is a brilliant mind that was far beyond his years while he was on this earth for that short amount of time. So when you you talk about C.S. Lewis, Lewis, like just made you curious and kind of piqued your curiosity. Um, Can you just share a little bit about that experience that you had, like not even just the escape of the books, but taking it one step deeper that what did you uncover when you started discovering more of his other writings and stuff like that, that really maybe had potential to mold and shape elements of your thinking? Mm. Well, Mike, I think it's so profound and true when you say that, you know, our, our Lord makes beauty out of ashes, right, regularly. And uh, and so reading for me was my strength, my love, my gift. Um, I was a professional reader. And he uses our virtues, he uses our vices. They're two sides of the same coin, the things that we love and, and the things that we can love too much. And I think the power of reading is that you're alone when you're reading, right? It, it's your conversation with your own thoughts. Um, and I was first introduced to Lewis actually through a book called A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Vanaken. Um, and he had um, included some letters from Lewis. So I kind of came in a back door of knowing him as a mentor, as kind of a friend, a, a teacher of this of this man. And uh, and it's a very powerful story. And I will give it away because it has a really beautiful ending. But um, um, spoiler, but... <laughs> Uh, and I was not a believer when I read that. And so that led me to read more of what this man was saying about faith, because probably one of the greatest resistances I had to it, and this is, I think, why I identify so much with students at this age. I mean, not only have I taught students for 30 years, um, I'm old, but <laughs> but I was a student thinking these things through and, and that precipice that we're at of trying to find out who we are and um, where we are in 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 meaning and in purpose and in telos and um and lewis just spoke so he was erudite but really accessible he spoke so honestly he spoke across several different types of genres um i mean you can read a book in which he enters the devil's head and and you begin to see how you think and how you're tempted and how human we are and he writes a book about grief and no one ever talks about grief and how it hits you like a concussion and he writes a you know sci-fi and fantasy and prayer and and just essays that are very very human and very accessible um and he gets you to ask questions um about yourself i think so often we're asking questions about god who are you god where are you god what what are you doing are you really who you say you are you know we're always asking these questions about god and he's not a fragile god he can take those questions um and for me a lot of mine were extremely cynical um, they actually were saying much more about the questioner than who I was questioning. But I think what Lewis does is hold up, he holds up a mirror and helps us look at the questions God's asking of us. And I was not prepared for that. 
I mean, I think I was like so many others, especially from North America, you know, middle class, midtown, you know, um, divorced home, you know, or whatever else where uh, Jesus to me was, I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. My mom thought that Jesus was a well-intentioned hippie, (laughs) (laughs) you know, well-intentioned. And, and if you're good, you're a Christian. Um, That's almost more difficult in a way to, to interact with or, or, you know, um, you didn't really read the Bible. It wasn't in the public schools. You don't really crack it open. Um, I had lots of friends and people I knew who had Darwin fish bumper stickers, but they'd never read the Bible. Um, and so I, I was a perfect example of how people don't know the gospel and we can presume that they do. And we can certainly presume that they do in North American society, but we don't, and we certainly don't know it from television and media or anything else. And so I think what's so lovely about Lewis is he states it quite clearly, but he interweaves it into things that are relevant. He, you know, he's argued before, and I think he's absolutely right. People don't believe that faith is relevant to our everyday lives. They think of it as something over here, a church pew or a Sunday thing, or, and even then not maybe relevant. And he interwove it with so many different topics and things. And he's by no means perfect. No, no thinker, writer, anyone is. And he's very self-deprecating, which I love him for as well. But he gets you to think about what is your life without it? You know, and who do you, who do you say Jesus is? And where are you? You know, the great question from Genesis that God asks us right after we fall, where, where are you? You know, he hasn't gone anywhere. And where are you? And I thought, where, where am I? Where am I? And if I don't believe in these things, or if I don't believe he is who he said he is, that what does that mean? Um, Sometimes thinking in negatives is just as powerful. And, um, and actually that's what Benachan had explored in a severe mercy, which for him, it wasn't so much a leap of faith as he said, it was a falling back or recognizing the chasm between him and Jesus in the sense that he couldn't deny who Jesus was. And that was the tipping point for him. And I think I got to a point where I thought, I said the lowest prayer there is, which is please help me in my unbelief. And even that is in the Bible because there's something for Mm -hmm. everybody, which I think is so cool. (laughs) But if people just read the Bible, just read the Bible, just just in and of itself, um, withholding any judgment, there's even that prayer in there, which is incredible to me. And so I really agreed with Lewis when he said he was, probably the most reluctant convert, you know, going kicking and screaming into the kingdom. But then also the fact that, wow, here's a Lord that would even take me on those prideful terms of myself. Um, and, and so I just, he really resonated deeply um, with me in my reading and in my thinking. And I had friends who were taking me to the C.S. Lewis Society and, uh, and who were, um, who had something more that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they by no means were perfect either, but um, they were real. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. Real. And I mean, Carolyn, we both, Mike and I have a passion for reading and I think it's been said, and I observed this, that some of the greatest films, um, mm-hmm. and media and entertainment in our day and just ever come from books. It's like mm-hmm. some of the best books become movies or films or documentaries and that's the case with your memoir, Surprised by Oxford. That's the case with, I think, Narnia, at least a little bit. And I would also say that I think films have come such a, a long way. And it used to be, if anything was like faith-based, 
it was like super cheesy and stuff like that. But now I, I guess one of my hopes is that, I don't know, Netflix or Amazon or one of the Hulu, one of those big ones secures the rights to the Chronicles of Narnia and makes like a, a whole series of it or makes like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, yes. And I still think a severe mercy needs to be made into one too. I think it was stopped and started, but no, you're right. And so I, I think that film does have a way of, I'm glad. I mean, I always love the original book, of course, and I always have a bit of a loyalty, a fealty to that. But there, uh, there's film as a, as a really unique medium and it can really haunt and stay with people. And I, I understand I'm probably not as much of an altar call movie person myself, just the background I have and believing friends and unbelieving friends in that world I navigate. But, you know, it takes all stripes. And yes. all folks, and I wouldn't underestimate cheese either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when my mom later became a Christian years and years later, she can remember when she was giving birth to my brother in the 60s, there was a guy with a placard saying the end of the world was coming outside her hospital. And she was like, oh, for goodness sakes, those crazy cheeses people. And she said, but it bothered her. <laughs> so you, we never know what's planted. Yep. We never know. Um, all we can try and do is be discerning. But um Um, the different things speak to different people at different times but I do think you're right there's a need for I hope this is what we pray for over the film adaptation that I think Ryan Whitaker did so beautifully of my book but I was grateful for um but a gentle invitation to the table that's so good and you know Mark Batterson says it and he pastors a church in Washington DC National Community Church we visited it they do some really cool things. They have Ebenezer's Coffee House. And mm-hmm. one of the right. things he says, though, their churches meet in movie theaters. And he said that, you know, the modern day stained glass is film. That's a brilliant analogy. I love that. I yeah. love it. I love yes. it. And I'm just curious, you know, we have a passion for lifelong learning. I think it's a bucket list dream of mine to visit Oxford, at least. I don't know about <laughs> study there, but we'll see. Um <laughs> You never put it past God, but you, I won't spill the beans, but you have a pretty cool story of how you even ended up there. Would love for you to share that kind of a miracle. And then what was it like studying at Oxford where I think just some of the most brilliant minds and prolific authors have, have spent time and visited the library and just been invited into a seat at the table. Yes, it is. It really is a magical place. And I don't mean to over romanticize it, but I think it is a magical place. When you're there, you you do it's oldest university in the world. It's it's steeped in thought. You can feel it in the stones. You just feel smarter sitting there, even if you're not doing anything. <laughs> in the library, I would just sit there and I feel smarter. Um, even if that wasn't the case usually. Um but it it's also reminds me of Narnia because what's so unique about a place like Oxford is it has a town down dichotomy. It's very different from an American campus or even from somewhere like Cambridge where its beauty is sort of spread out to sea. It's much like Narnia where the colleges are embedded in the city. And so you have to kind of walk through these portals into these little worlds. And every college also has its own little treasures, famous paintings and beautiful gardens and people buried there that you wouldn't know about and that sort of thing. So you always find these little Easter eggs, um, but you wouldn't know sometimes from the, you know, walking the streets because it also has shops and cafes and things. So it's a really unique spot, a very beautiful spot aesthetically and architecturally. And, and I do think, um, and I don't mean this in the latest sense at all, but I do think beauty leads us to the good. And 
and I don't mean that limited by a physical beauty, but I mean it in the classical sense, right? You know, the beauty of fairy tales, not that someone, um, you know, that that the beast becomes beautiful through the transformation of his heart and the old stories, right? The repentance and um, salvation and resurrection and all those beautiful things um, that points it to us. So I feel like when you're there, the spires, you know, lift your eyes up and the church bells, it's hard to be a cynic when church bells ring all day and mark your hours. It's also hard to not be aware of your mortality, right? And and the gift that that is when, you're, when your um, days are literally numbered in music and even song, there's chapel. And um, so there's so many things that are breathed into it. But yes, I never in a million years ever would have known I would have gone there. Um, I, I was really, we were really quite poor by the time I was about seven or eight. Um, we had been lost our homes and my father was in massive debt and my mom was um, you know, trying to get us on our feet. And so I really, very fortunately through, I, through a great blessings, you know, the hand of God in retrospect that you see, but I had opportunities that were made available, available to me that, um, particularly through the Commonwealth scholarship. Um, and what was really amazing about the Commonwealth scholarship, because it was the most money I'd ever seen in my life and it allowed me to go else I couldn't have gone was it was so people from all over the world. And, and I met so many Christians from all over the world. So it's, it's an illusion to think that, you know, Christianity is white. <laughs> mm-hmm. Certainly now. For sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. Oh my or gosh. it's wealthy. Or, I mean, I was with all these Commonwealth students from very, all sorts of, all sorts of walks of life, wealthy, poor, many like me, very many, much poorer. I mean, North American poor is a whole different, you know, game than other second and third world country poor. And, um, and they all knew the same Jesus. Um, and it was incredible, really. Um, even for, you know, differences in, in denominations or whatnot, that there was that mere Christianity. Yeah. Mm. I think that's beautiful just to realize that God can take us all on an amazing adventure when he's the center of it all. Like he will take us places we never thought we would go um, and be able to be a part of and be a part of the story. And we all get to play a part of the story. And I'd just be curious, Carolyn, when it comes to just young adults who are maybe curious and they're questioning, um, maybe just elements of them are doubting about faith and God. And can I trust him? Like all those layered questions that you have even alluded to at the beginning of this, what encouragement would you have and offer somebody them on that current journey? Like maybe they, they don't have both feet in the kingdom. Maybe they're kind of straddling that line or that thought of, is it the world? Is it God? Can I trust? Like, what would you encourage them with today? Mm, Such a great question. And I'm going to say to them the same thing I would say to my own children, and I have, <laughs> who are now about to enter college and that sort of thing. And also what, I, what I've learned myself, I think everyone's on the continuum somewhere between Peter and Paul, right? And, and one of the things I grieved being a Paul, <laughs> coming to the Lord later, was that I didn't know him beforehand. There's this grief that washes in, right? And that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm late to the game and all of those things. And he's amazing but then the backside gift of that is you know what it is not to know him yeah and if you don't have faith i can say with every ounce of my being you don't have anything everything else can be taken from you everything else can be taken from you really Mm. physically metaphorically whatever else except for that 
parole unless you give it up. And even in our despair, even as think as Lewis talks about consolation and desolation, which is actually an old Jesuit idea, right? From St. Ignatius, the idea that there are times we feel close to God and there are times we feel far from him. And that's a very normal human rhythm. We're fallen and, and post-lapsarian. And yet that rhythm, as you were even saying earlier, Mike, is still built into the desolation has a way in which, right, our, our driest prayers please him most and still has a way of bringing us to him or, or having us enact our faith in a different way. There are definitely, not that you ask for tragedy or trauma, but there are ways I have felt God closer to me in that even more so than in times of joy, perhaps. But then there's also times you don't feel anything at all. And that's okay. You know, because like Susan and Lucy, he carries us on his shoulders. So um, there's, I think, if if anyone wants to persuade you, um, or if you yourself want to somehow lose sight of that pearl i think that's really the greatest grief it's always there it's always the kingdom of god is always at hand and um and nothing can snatch you away from him and nothing can be greater than his love for you and once you know that you are like paul as he says to kings you know as he says to king agrippa i wish you had everything i had except for these chains we all have our various forms of chains and, um, but if you have that, and even if you fear you don't, or you fear it can be lost, we're told it's steadfast and it can't be. Oh man, I, I love what you just said, Carolyn, about the continuum of Peter to Paul. Yeah. And I think of this Saul to Paul conversion, God wastes nothing. He was very educated. He was very just passionate about at the time Judaism. And he was just tenacious yeah it was tenacious god didn't waste that it was very valuable <laughs> rechanneled it maybe yeah <laughs> sure. positive. tenacious is such a great word <laughs> well and he was yeah but he witnessed stephen right stephen's martyrdom he witnessed stephen's he held everybody's sweatshirts right <laughs> on the sidelines well they took him down and yet um we never know how god's at work because you know I'm ha- I've had lots of Christian friends who have martyred themselves for me in various ways so that I would know him. Oh my mm. gosh. Oh my gosh. And wow. ooh, um, it's, it, God is, is powerful. He's yeah. at work. And I'm just thinking of like, sometimes my mind works like this, where for sure saw the Paul's conversion is like, in many ways, just the proof of the transforming power of the Holy spirit and just what God can do is he can take somebody who is actually killing Christians, persecuting mm-hmm. the church, and he can transform even that heart. And I think C.S. Lewis is another who I believe was an atheist on record. And kind of like you said earlier, entered the kingdom kicking and screaming. I mm-hmm. think that's just another proof for the majesty and the power. And I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think when I was reading more of Lewis. I thought he had tremendous ethos. I mean, here's a man who lost his mom when, what, when he was nine. Mm-hmm. Young, I young. Mean, he has his dog hit by a car in front of him as a child. And that sounds like a small thing, but he actually, that's why he went by the name Jack, because that was the name of his dog. I mean, witnessed these awful things, went through the world war, had shrapnel and, you know, stuff lodged in him for his whole life. Um, I can't imagine being part of that lost generation. 
starting Oxford, stopping it, coming back, and everyone you started with is just about gone. Um, the the despair of that um, and a second world war, I mean, insane, right? You think about my what my mom has lived through. She's 90 now. So there's, um, and and yet for him to be able to come back to that circle of faith, that nothing is lost. And sometimes I think my mind works. <laughs> I like to ask lots of cynical questions and skeptical questions and things like that. And I think, well, you know, well, that was real great for Stephen. You know, he took the hit. <laughs> um, or, you know, what about, you know, the friends that Lewis died with? What about, you know, taking care of his best friend's mom the rest of his life because he died in the trenches? Um, yeah, sure. Where are you, God? Where are you? But we know, and this is, I think, what's so beautiful about one of my favorite essays by Lewis, um, The Weight of Glory, in which he says, no one we meet is, is mortal. Everyone we meet is immortal. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a game changer, that death is not the end. And that isn't some sort of, you know, pill you swallow so you feel better in a Freudian way that you don't have to deal with death and all the anxieties it, it represents. If that's a real truth, if, if, if resurrection's real, and the things the Bible says and promises are real. And like, you know, and like Lewis says, if really the glory is real, it's, we can't bear it. Mm-hmm. We, we actually can't bear it in our mortal conditions right now. And, and we have to also take responsibility for bearing it for our neighbor and it will bend our backs without humility. And there's, I mean, it is just, he said, you know, we're not even taking it seriously enough. We don't take it seriously enough um, with a serious joy. And I, that was just eye-opening for me and heart-cracking because of the fact that we don't know what, what our purpose is, what our roles are, what the meanings are in the story. But we do know that there is a story. We do know what the ending is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a happy ending does make up for a lot um for everything um but death isn't the end and and we um it changes everything doesn't make it okay i think death is more proof than ever that things are not okay (laughs) right but that's the point right you know it's it's not that god is dead it's that god was dead and that's actually the point (laughs) it's kind of like death is only death is the beginning you know, it's the beginning of the next, you know, and it's like really- the end of, it's like the end of the great battle, right? The last battle. Yes. Yep. Yes. Well, so good. the way Bob Goff says it is um, something to the effect of like everyone you meet, ha- treat everyone you meet, like they have a giant sticker on their forehead that says I'm special. Right. And yeah. I-, I think just to your point about sharing each other's burdens and the kindness and, you know, I, I think that's, a beautiful opportunity and an mm-hmm. assignment to bear each other's mm-hmm. burdens. And there's many ways to invest in the next generation. You've been doing it for a really long time on college campuses and just through thought, through literature, through teaching, through writing, through speaking. Why do you believe that young adult ministry and discipling the next generation is so vital? Well, there's nothing more important right, then bearing testimony to that hope to anyone at any age, um, um, any age. Uh, and I'm speaking of both both my parents that became Christians very, very late in their lives. 
But I think I have a special heart for students because of my conversion age and what I was thinking through and going through in my early 20s. Um, because I've taught that for so long, that group. Um, and I've taught secular campuses and Christian campuses. And so I see questions from both sides. And also when people are afraid to ask questions um, or they feel judged for asking questions. So I think that this generation is so important or that age is so important because they're asking the questions that really matter in their own lives and and setting them up for the world that we're going to inherit and participate in. And, um, and it's so, I mean, it's, there's, there's just nothing more important to plant and to cultivate. And I don't mean that in a heavy handed proselytizing way, but just in the sense that it, it rearranges all your priorities. It orders your lives, right? As Augustine says, and here you have Augustine, right? Centuries later, you know, who does the same thing as, you know, Solomon and everyone else and Lewis, right? And, and you know, this whole experience is all these other things and then comes back um, to God and says that God loves each of, us, each of us as though we are the only one. And I think knowing that and resting in that and growing from there and not being afraid to ask the questions and creating a world in which um, people are reminded of that steadfast love. I think that this generation in particularly really has a heart and a gift and an opportunity to embody fellowship more than friendship. And I really think that's an important distinction. Friendship is great. Um, friendship is lovely. Um, and it can be lasting for sure. Um, but it can only ever go so deep. There's always a shining barrier as opposed to fellowship. And, you know, it's not the friendship of the ring. <laughs> it's the fellowship of the ring. And and I think that's for a reason. And again, that's not because people, you know, Christians are perfect or anything like that. My goodness. Even Lewis said himself, sometimes he didn't want to go to church, you know, and church people drove him crazy. And, but it's when you're in fellowship, I think, like you were saying, you're, people, you're remembering that everybody is special, that you're talking mm -hmm. to. Everybody's beloved by God, including ourselves. And, and you are honoring that um, and you're loving them, even if you're not in the mood. And we might not do it at all times perfectly. Uh, and so we have other fellowship to sustain us <laughs> and other ways to work out things in our heart and to lay them before God and and to try to also have the sanctification of ourselves in it. But we are blessed with what's the really real. If you look at what Jesus talked about with people, where he met them, where they were at, how he knew what they were wanting and needing. Um, one of his questions is, what do you want? You know, the double-edgedness of wanting, both lacking and desiring. And that's where he meets people. And sometimes in fellowship, yes, it can be lovely and you sing kubaya and you, <laughs> you know, whatever. And other times fellowship for me is a sister, brother in Christ, you know, sister in Christ saying something to me that's really hard about myself that I need to sit with before God or look at. Um, but I know it comes from love. I know it's not fair weather. I know it's not dependent on how they feel that day. I know that um, even if it's inconvenient, they'll honor it or pray over it. Um, that my existence is not defined by their convenience or by their feeling, um, but by what we are called to be in relationship. That's so good. 
I love that God meets us where we're at and we have an opportunity as Christians and Christ followers to also meet our fellow brothers and sisters where they're at and be able to call them out and up in love and truth and to have those difficult conversations or be on the receiving end of some of those difficult conversations. And one challenging conversation I feel like the church is trying to lean into more or less these days is young adult ministry. Like how do we meet, reach the young adult who is asking questions that maybe the church is not answering mm-hmm. and the church is talking about things that they're not wondering about. Then this is weird tension that they're, they're trying to manage. And maybe I think lead pastors specifically are kind of their ears are perking up because they're realizing, Oh, I'm going to have to pass on the mantle of leadership at some point. I'm in my fifties. I'm in my sixties. I haven't been raising anybody up. And and do I know any young adults in my congregation? Do I have any young adults that are single, maybe their career, maybe their college, maybe they're between the ages of 18 and 30. So I would just be curious, what are your thoughts on the church or even like the future of the church? And how can we as leaders teach and reach young adults for Christ in the process? Mm. I don't know. In a way, I'm, I'm just a teacher and a mom but <laughs> but I think that's where we have many churches but I I the ch- the church will always survive as the bride of Christ that's not up to us it's going to go through different seasons and different ways that we perceive of it culturally but it is what it is in Christ so that's that's that gleaming and safe and beloved truth um so I think if in many ways, if we could just set down our arms and really create safe places for people to ask questions, but I think more than ever to be listened to. Um, in spiritual direction, there's <clears throat> um, there's a wonderful thing called holy listening, cultivating holy listening. Um, I think in our culture now, especially in North America, I've really noticed this living in the States. <laughs> Canadians, were, we have our own issues, but we're a little bit more polite I guess but the contentiousness sometimes in the states but there's the sense in which we assume that um disagreement is is um hatred Mm. you know and or Mm. that um or silence is acquiescence um I think looking for discernment on when to speak and when not to um and how to really 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 listen um i'm always amazed in the gospels how much jesus listens people are always talking about him being preaching oh is he you know he's preaching a heavy-handed preacher he's you know he's always telling people what to do not to do no he's not actually <laughs> i mean i agree with Malin lengel he's more of a storyteller than a theologian and he draws a line in the sand which are you know true and important um and he's tossed tables and he's also, you know, loving and he's wept, but he's, he asks questions and he listens and people tell him things. They tell him things from the tops of trees and at the well in the middle of the day and, you know, amidst no one, people that no one else will party with. They tell him things and he listens. And, um, and I think that's the power of prayer is God listening to us. And how it really works more in our own hearts. It's the same thing going back again to fellowship, right? It's it's not like we're going to give perfect advice or, you know, we we know what to do too. We're trying by always to go by grace and not to judge. But but sometimes repenting even to a friend that, you, you know, you didn't listen well to them or 
you know, you threw scripture at them and that wasn't, I mean, there's lots of times where the Lord Jesus says scripture in answer to something. And there's lots of times where he doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes scripture is wonderful. Of course, it's always wonderful, but you know, but sometimes it's also really um, canned, you know, and disconnected um, in a way. Um, maybe it needs to be more diffuse or maybe it needs to be embodied. Um, in order to really have an impact. Um, so I think just always trying to be in discernment, not that that has to be exhausting because actually there's grace for us and for everybody in it. Good. And I think that would be my, my response is just creating more intimate communities of, of battling against the, I think just the growth of anonymity that's been happening in modernity. Um, and that's not to say that social media is awful or things are black and white or anything like that. But I think we have such a pseudo safety and anonymity. We can say things to people without having to ascribe a face or sometimes even a real name and take no personal responsibility for what we are saying to them and how it might land and what it's doing to our own hearts. And so I think creating communities of being safe to ask questions and and then particularly being able to listen is really more important than ever so powerful mm -hmm. that is so powerful um i i look at the power that is breaking bread at a kitchen table mm -hmm. uh, you know a living room um a coffee shop i think just life on life a car road trips side by side i think the sky is the limit. I think that sometimes you go on to a camp or a shared experience, um, a college campus, you, you have these activities and maybe it's a field trip where it's like side by side, these core memories, this opportunity to share an experience together. And it's mm -hmm. just as much about the adventure of how you got there and all the memories that were created and the laughter or the awkward moments, the silence. Mm -hmm. I think all of those things are really, really powerful. What you're talking about of where it's a safe place to ask questions, um, mm -hmm. to share struggles, yeah. to, to confess challenges or shortcomings and, mm -hmm. and to listen. Right. The power of, of being listened to. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Jane I mean, Austen calls it the luxury of being listened to. Whoa. I know. Read this down. Whoa. I, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking. Like what, what you're talking about is just the, the power that we can. I mean, is there a, a better way to, to show someone that you care or you love them than to just like give them your time and listen to what's on their heart? Mm -hmm. Right. Without judgment and, and, and then weighing discernment on how to respond if that's necessary or how best to respond verbally, even physically with a hug. I don't know, in, in some ways taking some time to respond. But I think too, you, you're, you know, you raise such a good point about this giving of time, um, which is important. But I also think, you know, the Lord teaches us then how not to burn out as well, because, you know, you want pastors, youth ministers, you know, moms, dads, friends, you know, professors, you know, you get, we are all human and we get burned out. And even Jesus went out in a boat and even he went in a desert and he shows us that too, you know, and stepped away from crowds. There is a time for crowds. There is a time for preaching. There is a time for, you know, someone who listens in an auditorium and has their heart changed for sure, but there's seasons for things. And you're absolutely right. I think not to underestimate um, the smaller 
group opportunities because we're becoming more and more defined by how many thumbs up and how many likes and how many followers. And that's just a very bizarre and heady thing. And, you know, when Jesus was led away from the garden, um, he didn't have too many thumbs up. <laughs> even out of the 12, you know, the small group was down to 11 and then it was down even from there. And so, you know, living with um, those kind of fragile ways of attempting to fill our wells or to feel, or to feel that we matter our, our vanity and are empty ultimately. And, um, you know, we only really need one like or one love and we've got that already. So I think, I think that you're right. Having creating places where, where there is less anonymity mm-hmm. is really important, mm-hmm. but also to just, I would really encourage, cause I know I've been blessed with amazing pastors and, and amazing youth groups. And I know what my Bible study did for me when I was a new believer and people having me to their home for dinner or sitting and having coffee or students I've had coffee with, and it's just so meaningful but also the flip side to take time with God or solitude to fill your well too, because, you know, each person who's doing that is also only human as well. Oh right. my gosh. Right. Yep. Yep. I think that I, I'd be careful if I came across like saying, Hey, you're a listener and you need to do more. <laughs> I think it's just being intentional. What you're saying of making sure we are rested, that our cup is filled to have something for ourselves and to pour out for others. And right. you touched on the humanity of Jesus mm-hmm. in scripture. We see here is God and he is weeping. He is, we see all, I mean, if you really pay attention there is some deep feelings, some deep longings, some deep emotions and and times to get away, time to rest. But I just, I underscore that of um, looking at Jesus, maybe in a new and a fresh light is what I'm encouraged to do today. And mm-hmm. if you can, for a second, I'd love for you to go back to something you touched on from Lewis. And it was this idea of serious joy. Mm. Can you go there for a moment? Well, Lewis defines that as the business of heaven. <laughs> and and I, I love, I think it was Chesterton, right? That said, I believe it was Chesterton. who said, you know, Satan fell due to his taking himself too seriously, his own gravitas, you know, that um, we take ourselves so seriously. I mean, I think that's the tipping point we always have to be careful of because we can also listen and listen and listen and provide, think that we're providing all of this spiritual counseling and we're wonderful. And then all of a sudden we start tipping into our own vanity and serving and, and thinking we're above needing to be listened to as well. Um, or, you know, I'm too busy to go out in a boat or I'm, I don't need to repent of this or I don't need, um, or conversely, I've been pushed into such a corner of burnout. I'm looking to this addiction or this, this thing because I'm exhausted. I mean, there's so many ways that we get trapped and, and that can make you feel um, overwhelmed or like you're not measuring, meeting the mark. So I think it was so important of what you said of not making, not feeling that we need to do more, actually less, <laughs> mm-hmm. just really resting and resetting in God. And I think what I loved about Lewis with the notion of serious joy was, I think I was really moved by the great divorce. That was one of my early books that really shaped me too, because one of my burning questions coming from a largely predominantly unbelieving family and unbelieving friends um, and unbelieving colleagues was how can heaven be heaven without the people I love in it? Mm. Right. It's a great question. Yeah. 
is how can a loving God have a hell, right? It's all the, it's emanations of the same question. For sure. And he addresses that so powerfully in The Great Divorce. And he has this lovely caveat, you know, especially in the preface where he says, I'm not saying that I know what the afterlife is like. I'm, you know, for all of you busy bodies, you know, who aren't willing to have the willing suspension of disbelief. Hey, look at, but, but he does present, you know, in a way, almost that frame narrative a little bit like a Christmas carol or, you know, um, of the journey to, to heaven based on that old tradition of the refrigerator going, the refreshment, leaving hell and going to be refreshed in heaven and getting a taste of that. And it made me see how if you don't love God and you're, you don't know God, you, you can't experience heaven. You can't, it, it's not, it's not that he's ex- wanting to exclude people. It's not like this checklist. It's, it's that, um, as he says, you know, the bright spirits, they can't fit into hell. They're too big. Their hearts are too magnanimous. They're, they're, their love is too big. Um, he gives that beautiful image of Sarah Smith from Golders Green, and she's just a regular woman spirit who in, the, in her earthly life just loved people in Christ. You can't get any more plain a name than Sarah Smith, you know, but she's the bright lady in the resurrected world. Um, and um, she can't fit. She can't go to hell and visit them because she can't fit. And it's hell is like this little petty crack. And it is so petty. I find when I sin all the time, when I think about what I've come up short on or whatever, it's it's pettiness. It's immense pettiness. And so I think I was moved by the immensity of God that scripture reminds us of all the time, that we rest in. And and I love St. Therese um, when she talks about, of Lisieux, when she talks about the little way, just knowing that we are little and we rest in that, but that doesn't mean we're diminished. It means that we're, we're we rest on this great power and peace. And um, and so I think we don't take the joy promised to us seriously enough. Um, but we also, I don't think, realize how really amazing it is and it will be. And, um, and that when we know and love God, we, um, we can't be contained by hell. That's so good. Yeah. I just think that that's, a, that's such a fun thing to think about of we all play a small piece in this large puzzle, right? And we all have a place if we choose to participate in the kingdom of God on the side of eternity. And I just remember just kind of growing up the question that was always going around. I feel like, so I'm a millennial and I feel like the question everybody was asking was like, well, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Well, you have to be a good person. You have to love people. You, you blah, blah, blah. Like they list all these things. And I'm, I'm, I would know I was questioning. I'm like, well, what do you have to go to? What do you have to do to go to hell? And essentially all we have to do is be born because we're born into sin. Right. And I think sometimes like when you're talking about the flip side of the, the questions, that's one thing that I've thought about, like, wow, that's not the approach that I take to get people to lead them to Christ. But it's like, have, have it, have we ever had the conversation? Like, wow, what do we have to do to go to hell? Nobody should want to go to hell for beginners, you know, or for the sake of that, but also remind being just reminded that hell was not created for humans. Right. And you had alluded to it. It was the, it was the fall of, of Satan and it was his own pride that got in the way thinking that he could be God. And he took a third of the angels with him. And when we focus on the magnitude of Christ, the power of God and the eternity that we get to spend with him, we don't have to, we choose to, like we get to, because he first chose us. 
And I think even at the advent of this recording of the advent weekend just started, and it's just kind of jaw dropping to think of the magnitude of God and the things that he has for us and the things that we get to say yes to, that we don't have to, and how we get to uh, pray to him, how we get to lead others to Christ and how it's just an honor. I think if we look at following Christ as an honor and as a privilege and just as it's not a right, but we do have the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us. And I don't know, it just encourages me to be like, we all have questions. We all can all wrestle, but we can all hopefully come back to the firm foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord and Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the father. People are still saying yes to him. Amazing things are still happening around the world and the globe, even though 42% of the world has not yet heard the name of Jesus. Like we have to live on mission each and every single day as individuals, as family units and beyond as churches and leaders and ministers and professors and teachers. And no matter where we land and where God has planted us, we have an opportunity to share and spread the gospel, um, not just during the holiday season, but each and every single day. So I don't know, Josiah, what do you got? Anything else? Well, Hey, Carolyn, we have loved this conversation, but we, how we love to end is five minutes on the clock and we go a little bit rapid fire with these. Are you up for the five and five rapid challenge? Five and five. That's awesome. It sounds like a a board game. It (laughs) is. Can you do it? Family board game. Yeah. That's a great question. With my kids. Kick us off. Ooh, okay. Kicking us off with question one. What has God been teaching you lately? Oh, um, patience. <laughs> what it means to wait on him. I, I think I've always wanted to do things um, or take action or um or 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 often feel like I need to do something. Um, but what it actually means, as Milton says, you know, that those serve who only stand and wait. Um, what does that mean? And I've been, that's, that's been a theme for me right now. Oh man. Love it. Well, God will meet you in your patience. I pray. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. We know you're a learner, a writer, a reader. What's a good book that you're really into lately? Oh gosh. There's so many. Um, I'm currently actually revisiting Lewis's, um, sci- sci-fi trilogy. Okay. Um, so I have, I read, part of it years ago and I hadn't finished the whole thing. So I'm going back to that right now. Um, I know this sounds like heavy reading, but I'm actually reading um, Dante's Divine Comedy because okay. it's beautiful and it bears rereading. Um, and then I always read something modern too, because it's just relaxing. So I just finished reading Spinning Silver because I really enjoy reading like modern fairy tales. Um, and um, and I also... Um, yeah, I love memoirs and things like that too. So um, Nagme um, Panini wrote, wrote a beautiful book called I Didn't Survive. And uh, it talks about her life in ministry and particularly in the Middle East. And that was very powerful. Just finished that recently as well. Um, so there's, yeah, that's a different one. Are you a one book at a time reader no, or like, no, like six, 10? What's... I read in different places, different things. So I read something at the gym if I can get there because I have kids so I just would prefer to eat chocolate or sleep but <laughs> the odd time if I get on a bike or something then I'll read um like a stationary bike <laughs> that would be challenging <laughs> yes <laughs> then I read something there and I read I, I read things to teach and prepare and I, yeah. I have a, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful I love my job so I'm always teaching philosophy or literature or something so we just finished Jane Eyre which is also a beautiful read 
I love that as well. Um, but, um, and then I always read um, something like for doctor's offices or waiting with the kids. That is usually where I'm not too tired. And then I usually read something kind of fun and relaxing at night. Amazing. Oh man. Different books in different places for different genres. Almost. And- I love it. I'm the same if way. If you have small children, right, it's really great too because you're usually pretty busy in waiting rooms, even with small children. But if somebody's busy for a little bit, I, I, that's I just, that's how I, I loved Madeline Lego. I read all her crossbooks journals when my kids were little and playing, um, because I would just keep them and, and go through them, and they were beautiful reads. And I felt like she understood because she was writing and hiding in a chicken coop to do it from her children. <laughs> I love that. All right. For this next one, no one has to hide in any chicken coops, but here's the curveball. <laughs> if you could ask Josiah and myself one question, what would you ask us today? Oh gosh. Um, I have so many questions for you. I really need to have a pint or a cup of tea because I'd love to know all sorts of things like how you met, what your stories are and why you're working with young folks. <laughs> but I, I guess uh, for something like today, I would ask, what are you most excited by in this generation that you're reaching out to and working with? What do you see um, as something that is um, heartening or important? Yeah. Do you want to go? I'll go first. Yeah, you do, think? It. do it. Okay. I, I think two things. One, I think their creativity. They are very creative in the entrepreneurial world, in the advertising world, in the music world, whatever that is. Like they're just creatives, I think, in so many different ways of how to do an old thing in a new way without reinventing the wheel, essentially. And the other side of that is they're not afraid of hard questions. They may have questions and may not know how to always ask, but if you can get them in a room of a small group, or if you can get them on a one-on-one, they're asking hard, challenging, deep theological questions. They are asking, they're hungry. And I just love that they're hungry. And it's like, wow, to have them at our table, not to only have a physical meal, but you will get fed truth, the word of God, the Bible, Jesus Christ will be represented in an, in this house and you will have an opportunity to encounter him. So I just think their their willingness to ask the hard questions and not shy back because what we've realized working with young adults in this generation, they don't want the fluff. They don't want the, because I said so, or the answer is always Jesus. They want to know not the why, but why should I not fill in the blank? And what are the repercussions? Because they're realizing nowadays, I think my generation always asked why, why, why? And now their generation is like, how come? Like, what, but what is the why behind the why? Like, why should I not be engaging in intimacy with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Oh, Mm -hmm. because there's strongholds that are being, you're stepping out of a covenant that's, you know, designed for marriage. There's strongholds or there's there's soul ties that are being, you know, tied Mm. together when you are making those choices. And if this person is not the one you're going to end up with, what story do you want to tell your future spouse later? Like they want to know the repercussions of the why, not that they're all going to necessarily exist, but they want to go there. And Mm. I love that they want the raw, the real and the the transparent. They don't want. Mm. Yeah, the fluff. I'll go short. Sorry. No, that's Similar. wonderful. I really appreciated hearing that. Yeah. Similar. I, I mean, Carolyn, I, I see such a hunger to use Micah's word, but a passion, just an excitement. Like for me, when I put me on a college campus, we went to a basketball game at the University of Minnesota, like last, last Thursday night. And the team was great. But I mean, just the the excitement, the passion, the possibilities, the future, um, I guess just the potential, the development process 
um, the ideas, the dorm dreams, it all fires me up. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's that's great to hear. Well, I think because Josiah is a person that just doesn't have to see a name and a face. He sees the potential of like, what is a dream that God has given you? What wrong has he placed inside you to make a right to change the world? So I think when he sees those people, he's like, I wonder what they're called to. I wonder what they're up to. I think they need encouragement. Like, so he doesn't, I mean, like you're in a classroom. There's just, you're just not a number on a piece of paper when you take a test. Like there's a seat for you. You have a name, you are seen, you have a voice. So I think that's. How I've used I it. love that. Easier. I love that because that's how Jesus sees us. Yeah, that's how exactly. Jesus sees us. I mean, he he wasn't surprised that Peter was going to betray him, but he still makes him his rock to build on yes. the church on. So yeah. he sees out who we are and our potential and who we are made to be in his image. I love that. Well, and that's speaking of question. speaking of that note of encouragement, is there one piece of just insight mm. or encouragement that you would want to leave with the next generation today? Mm. Um, the encouragement I, I think I would give is on a really simple level to just read your Bible simply. I mean, I just mean that really, because I was, I was an example of someone who never had read it as a book and was really blown away by how much sense it made and how every time since then I've read it, it says something more and something deeper and something different all the time that you can never get to the bottom of its depths. So wherever you're at in your faith, again, that's not, oh, you have to read it or I have to get up and do this thing or whatever, but that there's actually something, always something more there that we need. It really is bread, you know, and, and I think also the encouragement is that we are, we are beloved beyond what we can imagine and God's ways Mm -hmm. are not our ways. And, um, and so you know, for all the other hard questions we have, like you were saying to me, like, you know, asking these hard questions and, and the hows and everything still behind that. Yeah. We answer for our own hearts. We don't answer for the person to our left or our right. Um, we can't answer or know why the baby dies after birth, you know, and why we're allowed to have some time to do this. Um, why there are horrors and things like this but we do know what we can say for our own hearts and what we can answer for our own individual hearts before god and we also know that he is good and that has my back when i don't know the answer yeah that's wonderful so encouraging and man we've been blessed by this time together carolyn thanks for everything thank you me too you both are a delight and i will pray over your ministry i really appreciate what you're doing thank you thank you so much for joining us once again this is carolyn so thank you so much for everything as you as a listener and this is the young adults today podcast we'll see you next week Getting charged up right now, yeah.